0: Welcome to the latest Stevenson Harwood Employment Law Podcast. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the whole series on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. My name is Natalie Edwards and I'm an associate in Stevenson Harwood's International Employment Team. I have with me partners Kate Brearley and Kirsten Lucas. This podcast is the latest in our mini-series on employee competition and coincides with the publication of the new and fourth edition of Kate's book, Employment Covenants and Confidential Information, Law, Practice and Technique, co-written with Selwyn Block QC of leading employment set Littleton Chambers and published by Bloomsbury. So far in this mini-series, we have discussed some of the practical steps employers should take to reduce the chances of an employee competing with their employer's business both during and after employment. In this podcast, we're going to look at what employers can and should do if they suspect an employee is or is planning to engage in competitive activity. The steps an employer takes when competitive activity is first suspected are crucial to both protecting the employer's business and increasing the prospect of success of any subsequent legal action. Kate's book includes a chapter providing detailed guidance for employers who find themselves in such a situation. This chapter was co-authored by Kirsten Lucas,
1: partner in our Dubai office, and I'm pleased to say that Kirsten is joining Kate on this podcast. Hi Natalie, it's great to be back and to be able to share some key practical guidance on this topic. Kate, to give some context, can you explain the types of scenario which employers often face when they
0: first suspect an employee or former employee of competitive activity?
2: Natalie, broadly speaking, there are three types of competitive activity in which the employee or ex-employee may be involved. Firstly, competition during employment. Secondly, acts which are in preparation to compete after employment has ended, essentially putting things in place to give the individual an unfair advantage to compete when their employment ends. And thirdly, competition by the ex-employee after employment has ended. The steps an employer should take in response will vary depending on the type of competitive activity that is suspected and the relevant chapter in, in my book goes into detail about what steps should be taken or how they should be varied in each particular situation.
0: A common reaction by employers who discover competitive activity or preparations to compete by a current employee is to have the employee clear their desk immediately and march them out of the office. Kate, in your experience, is this likely to make the situation better
2: or worse? Almost always worse, Natalie. That sort of knee-jerk reaction, whilst entirely understandable, gives away the control the employer has over an employee and will usually release the employee from having to work their notice period or spend it on garden leave. By marching the employee out of the building, the employer will almost always have committed a repudiatory breach of contract which, if accepted by the employee, has the effect of releasing that employee from all their post-termination restrictions. In other words, the employer will have driven a coach and horses through any chance of protecting its business. Thanks, Kate. That's a critical point for employers to
0: remember. It sounds like there are a number of preliminary issues that employers should address before they take
1: any big decisions or irreversible steps. Kirsten, perhaps you can talk us through these. Absolutely, Natalie. The first preliminary step should be to put in place the team of advisors and experts who will help the employer work out exactly what has happened and what to do about it. The first external appointment should be the lawyers. Ideally, the employer should appoint lawyers who not only know the law, but have practical, first-hand experience of litigating employee competition disputes. It's likely that other experts will also need to be appointed. The most common of these are... IT forensic teams to assist with the collection and preservation of electronic evidence, accountants to help quantify damages, and public relations experts to help with any reputational risks. It is possible that some of this expertise can be sourced internally, but frequently external appointments are made, not least to guard against the employee being tipped off that they are under investigation. The remit of each team should be clearly set out and the experts should be in regular contact with each other to ensure the team works together effectively as a unit. The second, but equally, if not more, important preliminary step is to identify the core internal management team. A considerable amount of work is needed in a very short space of time within a business facing potentially illegal competitive activity. Simply asking one person from the HR or legal department to deal with the matter will seldom suffice. The key to success is a realistic allocation of responsibilities amongst a core team which permits all the necessary tasks to be completed expeditiously without prejudicing the ongoing running of the business.
2: That's right, Kirsten. There are two key areas of focus for the core internal management team. The first relates the activities of the offending employee or former employee and any persons he is in league with and deciding what to do with those employees or former employees. The second relates to the relationships with clients and other employees. Whilst an employer may be justifiably enraged by a competitive employee's actions, they do need to retain a focus on what they are trying to protect, namely the business, its staff and its commercial relationships. By focusing all efforts on the offending employee or former employee, an employer can play right into that individual's hands, for example if they neglect client relationships as a result.
1: Absolutely, Kate. The next key preliminary decision for the employer is what to do with the employee themselves. Should they continue to perform their duties? Should they be suspended or placed on garden leave? Garden leave is usually only an option if notice to terminate employment has been given. Suspension should only really be used if the commercial risk of the employee remaining on active duty is sufficiently great. If an employer does suspend or place an individual on garden leave, it is imperative to set out clearly the terms of the suspension or garden leave and take the necessary steps to enforce those terms. For example, an employee should be prohibited from carrying out any duties, attending the office or having any contact with employees or clients. It should also be made clear to the employee that they are not to delete, destroy or tamper with potential evidence of their activities. In particular, evidence on any personal devices, email or social media accounts. To ensure compliance, it is advisable for an employer to collect and cancel any office pass, work laptop and phone before the employee leaves the building. And another top tip, employers often forget to ask for any passwords or PIN codes for devices they have confiscated. It's very important to get these and then disable remote access to prevent the employee from wiping data remotely. An employer must, of course, have a contractual right to place an employee on garden leave.
0: Similarly, suspension should not be imposed lightly. The employer must have sufficient grounds for suspension. Otherwise, such steps could amount to a repudiatory breach of contract, which, if accepted, would, like we mentioned earlier, have the effect of releasing the individual from post-termination restrictions which the employer will still want to rely on. So, once these preliminary steps have been
2: taken, what should an employer's next action be? There are three basic steps that an employer should follow when faced with competitive activity – These are, firstly, to gather information, secondly, to take key decisions, and lastly, to settle a strategy to reflect those key decisions. How these steps are performed will depend on the specific circumstances of each case, but there are a number of common themes which will almost always be relevant. Dealing first with gathering information, identifying the nature and scope of the employee's activities is crucial to enable the employer to make well-informed decisions on the appropriate action to take. Frequently, allegations are based on gossip, which may become exaggerated as it passes from one person to the next. The employer needs accurate and unbiased information from reliable sources, supported wherever possible by documentary evidence, including information on computers, portable devices, email, social media and online data platforms. This information needs to be obtained quickly and whilst preserving the integrity of the data, for example the metadata, It also needs to be done generally without alerting the employee that they are under investigation. The employer also needs to make sure that it has a signed copy of the employment contract. All too often clients send us the electronic version but are unable to find the one which the employee actually signed. The employer must also have a clear understanding of the employee's role and the relationship with clients and colleagues. Once the initial information has been obtained, the employer, along with its lawyers, can then analyse whether the activity in question involved any breaches of express or implied contractual duties, or, in appropriate cases, breaches of fiduciary obligations. A really crucial part of the information-gathering process is to assess the actual threat the individual in question poses to the employer's business. This assessment can only be made once the employers obtain the information that I have discussed. Often what appears at first sight to be a threat of real gravity is, on closer examination, of lesser or even minor significance. Similarly, it's possible that the employee has identified a particular type of business that is only partly competitive with the employer's business. In those circumstances, it could, for example, be mutually beneficial for the employer to give the employee the opportunity to pursue that business together with the employer perhaps, for example, by a joint venture in which the individual employee has an equity stake. Thanks, Kate. That's just one of a
0: number of possible decisions that an employer can take in light of the information they have gathered. That leads nicely to the second of the three basic steps, which is taking key decisions. Kirsten, can you give
1: us your top five? Of course, Natalie. The key decisions to be taken will vary depending on the particular circumstances. But generally speaking, our top five suggestions are as follows. Firstly, the employer needs to decide whether the employee will be dismissed or retained. When making this decision, the employer needs to consider a large number of factors. For example, in a team move scenario, it is often possible to persuade one of the team members to stay, and he may then even give evidence against his defecting colleagues. Kate also mentioned the possibility of the employer setting up a new business enterprise with the employee, thereby changing a commercially damaging situation into a commercially profitable one. The second and third key decisions are whether to threaten or issue legal proceedings against the employee or against any other third party, such as the prospective new employer. These questions are not the same as whether there are good legal grounds for proceedings, although usually whether there are good grounds for legal proceedings will be a very relevant factor. Often, where it is just a single employee who is competing, The mere threat of legal proceedings, coupled with the potential cost and uncertainty for the employee, will be enough to deter him from his competitive activities, or at least curtail them. The threat of proceedings may not have the same effect against a third party, such as the poaching employer. Nonetheless, it is common for an employer to allege that a new or prospective employer has induced or conspired with the defecting employee to breach their contract of employment. There are two primary reasons for pursuing third parties – Firstly, to stop or limit the effect of competitive activity, and secondly, as a means of ensuring that there is a defendant who has the means to satisfy any monetary claim. However, the flip side of that, of course, is that a new employer with deep pockets can effectively bankroll the defecting employee's defence of any claims. Before starting any legal proceedings, the employer will usually need to set out details of the dispute in a formal letter before claim, which we will be considering in the next podcast in this miniseries. The employer also needs to consider whether it has the financial resources to satisfy the cross-undertaking in damages that will be required should an application for interim injunctive relief be made. The fourth and fifth key decisions relate to what steps can be taken to protect and consolidate the employer's relationships with clients and employees respectively, who may be targeted by the competing employee. As Kate mentioned earlier, employers can be so focused on the action they want to take against the miscreant employee – that they overlook what is really important to their business, namely their commercial relationships. A key action is for the employer's internal team to carry out a risk analysis to identify those clients who are most at risk from the competing employee. Once such clients have been identified, a plan should be put in place and implemented to retain that client relationship. A simple way of doing this is noting, in order of seniority, any other employees who have had contact with that client. Those individuals should then speak with their assigned clients, usually on a one-to-one basis, preferably in person, but if not, then on the telephone, to solidify that relationship. The employer should take a similar approach with any other valued employees who may be at risk of joining the defecting employee. The employer should consider ways to incentivise those employees so that they are not also tempted to move on, either with the defecting employee or to another organisation altogether.
0: Thanks, Kirsten. That leads us on to the final of the three basic steps that we've outlined.
1: The last basic step is to settle a strategy
2: to reflect the key decisions which the employer has made. That strategy must be flexible and should be based on a combination of the evidence gathered, the analysis of what the competing employee has been doing or intends to do, and the anticipated reactions of those directly and indirectly affected, paying particular attention obviously to the clients and to fellow employees. In the early stages of a matter, daily, if not hourly, additional information will be emerging, which has an impact on the strategy. So at very regular intervals, the employer and the legal and advisory teams must reassess the key decisions and strategy in light of that additional information and make any appropriate revisions. Employers who adopt too rigid an approach do so at their peril, as that will make it easy to be outmanoeuvred by the competing employee and or their new employer. As noted at the beginning of this podcast,
0: the steps that an employer will need to take when faced with competitive activity will vary depending on the particular circumstances in question. However, this podcast has given some guidance on the core basic steps that an employer should take when they are suspicious of an employee competing or preparing to compete with their business. Thanks to both Kirsten and Kate. The key point to take away from the discussion is the importance of acting quickly but smartly. As always, Stevenson Harwood's international team can bring its market-leading experience in this field to help you with these issues. Thank you for listening and don't forget that you can listen again and subscribe to the whole series on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud or by visiting the Stevenson Harwood website.